Lord. Today we're looking in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 49. Isaiah, chapter number 49. Let me just start off this morning by telling you I need some help to preach this morning, all right? I got no help last week. Absolutely, it's like preaching to a brick wall. I love you, but it's hard to preach like that. I need your help this morning. Did you know the more that you help, the better the sermon's going to be? The more you help, the better the sermon's going to be. And my number one helper's not here this morning. My wife, she'll be here for the second service. Uh, We have our three-month-old grandbaby. Have her for three days. And uh, so, wow, uh, Grandma's home taking care of her, and she'll be here in a little while. Uh, Kristen and Sean are in Chicago. Uh, Possibility of a ministry assignment there. Uh, We want them employed, but not necessarily in Chicago. (laughs) And they don't really want to be in Chicago either, but they feel like they have to check out an open door and make sure that it is or not from the Lord. So pray for Krista and Sean. And uh, they, they had just stuff for them to do for three solid days. And, and we understood and we realized, you know, this is not going to be very easy for them to lag a three-month-old baby around all these meetings and different things that they're going to be involved in. So Grandma, of course, uh, volunteered to keep Eliana. And uh, we are learning why God gives babies to young people. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Amen. But uh, I need someone to help me out this morning. Would you do it? Amen. Amen. Well, we got Ricky back. That'll help today. Amen. Everybody say, well, Ricky's not here, but he can't carry the whole load. Amen. He needs some help. All right. All right, the book of Isaiah this morning, chapter number 49. And we're going to read the first four verses. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Isaiah, chapter number 49, began reading with verse number 1. The word of the Lord says, listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From from within the womb, he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. The title of my message this morning is Jesus in Isaiah 49. Jesus in Isaiah 49. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for the incredible uh, presence uh, of the Lord that is in this house today. Thank you for the awesome and incredible worship, Lord, that Lord that has brought us into your presence, Father. Lord, I thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. God, I believe with all of my heart, Lord, that there are some things contained in this message today that drastically is needed in some hearts and lives. Who those people are, I don't know who they are, but you do. And Lord, I know that you're going to Use your word, Lord, to uh, do a a great work in our lives today. Let your anointing be upon the message, upon the messenger. Give us ears, Lord, to hear the word of the Lord today. We ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. And you may be reseated this morning. Well, this morning I want us to take a close look at the first four verses of Isaiah 49. As we examine these four short verses, it is absolutely amazing what we 
can find. You know, you can take the word of the Lord, you can just read over it, and, and you know, you get a little bit of it, but you know what, if you will take time and contemplate, if you'll take time and, and, and look and read and, and study uh, and ask the Lord to open your spiritual eyes, it's amazing what you can get uh, out of something that maybe you read uh, uh, many times and just, you know, it was just a part of your Bible reading, you didn't get much out of it, but I'm telling you, there's some incredible and unbelievable truth in, the, in all of the Lord's word. Well, there's seven things in this little, this little passage that I read, just four short verses, and yet I find seven things that I want to call your attention to this morning. The first thing I want us to notice here is I want us to notice the people. Notice the people, and that's found in the, in the first part of verse number one. Listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. I want you to notice these two phrases. First of all, the phrase, all you in distant lands. And then the phrase, I want you to notice, you who are far away. So I'm asking you this morning, who is God speaking to here? Who are the people? Who is this that God is talking to? Well, we understand that in the preceding 48 chapters of Isaiah, God is addressing the Jewish People. But in chapter 49, in verse 1, God speaks to the Gentiles. He speaks to the Gentiles. Oh, I don't know about you this morning, but I'm glad God did not forget us. Now, the Jews may indeed be God's chosen people, but thank God He did not leave us out of His plan. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, not just the Jew, but whosoever would believe upon him would not perish but have life eternal. In Isaiah 49 that we're looking at, if you look down to verse number 6, you'll find that the word of the Lord says, I, and, the, and the one speaking here says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. Oh, hear me this morning, people. Before the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah, God had already included the Gentiles in his plan. You see, it wasn't that God had this plan to save the Jews, and yet the Jews spoiled God's plan by rejecting Jesus as Savior. And so now God is wringing his hands and saying, oh no, oops, oh, that plan didn't work very well. What am I going to do right now? And so he scurries around and makes a, a new plan or tweaks the plan that he had. No, 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 friend, before the Jews, before they rejected Jesus as Savior, God had already included the Gentiles in his plan. Oh, hear me this morning, Gentile audience. I said, hear me this morning, Gentile audience. God loves us. Uh, he doesn't just love the Jew, but God loves us. And he has always loved us, and he always will. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that the apostle Paul was sent primarily to the, uh, primarily to the Gentile. Did you hear that? Amen. The greatest apostle of all time. How about he was sent to who? 
He was the prophet or he was the apostle of the Gentile. Oh, the church age, the age that we are in right now, which has lasted approximately 2,000 years already. But hear me, friend, is primarily made up of Gentile believers. Aren't you excited about that this morning? Aren't you glad that God has not left us out? Amen. But not only do I want us to notice the people here, but then I want us to notice the prophet. I want us to notice the prophet. Back to our text. Notice the last part of verse number one. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. Called who? Who is this prophet? Is it Isaiah? No. No, his mission was to the Jew. In verse 3, this prophet is called Israel, not called Isaiah. Who is this prophet? Who is this man of God? Who is this prophet that is being spoken of? Let me submit to you that the prophet being spoken of here was no less than Jesus himself. Did you notice these two phrases in verse 1? Called before my birth. Well, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says that God chose Jesus as your Savior long before the world began. And the second phrase here is named while still in the womb. Well, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 says that the angel said, Oh, she's gonna, she, Mary, will have a son and you are to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. The prophet, Jesus. And then I want us to notice the proclamation. And it's found in verse number 2. Verse number 2, the proclamation. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. Let me understand that words are very powerful. Words are very powerful. Words have power to help, but they also have power to hinder. Oh, words have power to hurt, but they also have power to heal. How many understand that Jesus was a master wordsmith? He was a master wordsmith. He understood the true value of words. Let me suggest, first of all, this morning about Jesus and his words, that his words were piercing. His words were piercing. Verse 2, he made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. Well, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says the same. says that his word is alive and it is powerful and that it is sharper than, any sharp, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Friend, Jesus didn't and still doesn't tiptoe through the tulips. He didn't and still doesn't dance around an issue. How many know that Jesus calls it as it is? He speaks the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Not only is his words piercing, but let me suggest that his words were pure. His words were pure. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says that deceit was never found in his mouth. Speaking of Christ, that deceit was never found. The words of deceit or deception never came forth from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Friend, Jesus never told a lie. 
He never twisted the truth to fit a situation or make him look good. Oh, he never used trickery. Oh, he never did anything to enhance the truth in order to convince someone or to influence someone or to make himself look better. Let me also suggest about the words of Jesus that his words were profound. His words were profound. John 7 and 46 says, No man ever spake like this man. Oh, I say, E.F. Hudden, eat your heart out. How oh, you are a bumbling idiot compared to the oratory skill of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, the words of Jesus were so profound and interesting that, that 5,000 families oh, would sit on a slopey hillside and listen to the master orator and listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and they would sit there all day long without eating lunch. Oh, his words were so profound that even a little cotton-headed boy was so caught up in the master's stories and teaching that he too would sit all day long. And what was so amazing with him was that he would sit all day long with a basket full of food beside him and never open the basket and never eat the lunch. Wow, wow, how profound the word of the Lord Jesus Well, the fourth thing I want us to notice in this little passage is the protection. You'll find that in the middle of verse number two. Oh, he has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. Friend, God did not send his son into this world unprotected. I said God did not send his one and only son into this world unprotected. Unprotected. There's two things I want to suggest here. First of all, first of all, I want to suggest that he was protected from his persecutors. Protected. Jesus was protected from his persecutors. You know, not everybody loved Jesus. Not everybody loved Jesus. Not everybody accepted Jesus. Oh, the Bible says that he was hated by many. Oh, the Bible says that Jesus was constantly persecuted. His life was constantly in danger from those that would persecute him. And yet God, his heavenly father, protected Jesus from his persecutors. Verse 2, he has has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. You see, I believe that God would literally hide Jesus from his persecutors. In the midst of the crowd. In the midst of the crowd. But Jesus somehow would, would, would blind the eye of his persecutor. So they, Jesus could slip through. And they would not even be aware that he was in their midst. But not only was Jesus protected from his persecutors. He was also preserved for his predestination. Preserved for his predestination. You see, God's plan for the redemption of his people included his son coming to this world and living as man. That God would come to earth and live as man. Can you, uh, can you comprehend that? Isn't that unbelievable? What a plan it was that God devised that his one and only son who was God as well, oh, who sat on the right hand of the Father, who had access to everything the Heavenly Father had, who had the power the Heavenly Father had, and yet that he would lay aside his rights and privileges as being God, that he would lay aside his royal robe and he would take upon himself the robe of man. Wow, that he would come to this earth, that he 
would be born of a virgin conceived of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that he would be born sinless. Oh, and then he would live a sinless life. Oh, he would die on a cross as the substitute for man, taking on himself God's punishment for sin. Friend, Jesus, Jesus would give his life when, where, and how it was predestined for him, and no one or no thing would stop or alter it. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. He said, I sacrifice it voluntarily. Jesus said there, I have the power to lay my life down, but he said, I also have the power to take it back again. He said, I have received this command from my Father. Well, the fifth thing that I find in these few short verses is the prediction The prediction which is found in verse number 3, he said to me, You are my servant, you are Israel. And here's the prediction, you will bring glory. You will bring me glory. You will bring me glory. The prediction of this prophet being spoken of here is that he would bring glory to God. And I ask you this morning, who has brought more glory to God than his son? Jesus Christ, who has brought more glory to God than his only son, Jesus. Let me suggest that it was prophesied by an angel. We read it a moment ago, Matthew 121. Mary will have a son, and you're going to name his, you're going, and, and you are to name him Jesus, and here's what he's going to do. He is going to save his people from their sin. Not only was it prophesied by an angel, but also it was, he was praised by his father. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, when Jesus was being baptized, the Bible said that a voice came from out of heaven and it said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The prediction was that this prophet would bring glory to God. And Jesus said of himself in John 4 and 34, he said, my, my joy, he said, is to do my Father's work. Jesus said, the greatest joy that I have in life, amen, is to do the work of my Father. He said also in John 8 and 29, he said, I always seek to do what pleases my Father. Jesus said, I didn't come here to do what I want to do. I didn't come here to do my thing, but I came here, amen, that my life might be pleasing to my Father. Father, and everything I say and everything I do, I do as unto my Father, and I do it to please my Heavenly Father. Well, guess what this morning, people? We are God's children as well. We are God's children too, and as God's children, we should seek to please our Father as well. Well, the sixth thing that I find in these verses, that is, I find the protest. This is where the little twist comes in. And this is where it becomes very, very interesting to me. And this part of the message today is what I really want to focus on. And this part of the message today is what I really in all of my heart believe, amen, that God wants to speak to somebody or several somebodies today in the final two points of today's lesson. So if you somewhere along the line tune me out, please tune me back in. I believe God has a word for you in the next couple of in the next couple of points. The person in this passage that we have identified as Jesus puts up a protest. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty incredible to think that. You, You say, Pastor, are you saying that Jesus 
Jesus put up a protest? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's recorded in verse number 4, and we're going to examine it in detail in a moment. And yet, before we do, I want to remind us of a three-hour protest that Jesus put on before he went to the cross. And that's found, as well as other places, but it's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Luke, chapter 22, and began reading with verse number 40. It's where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Contemplating the cross, contemplating the cup of Gethsemane, which was no less than the sin of all ages, placed in the cup that Jesus would have to drink. And here he is contemplating the the, the cross. This is the hour he came for, but here he is. Do Do I go forth? Do I finish this? Do I really do this or do I back out? Verse 40, he came to the place, Gethsemane, a garden, He said to them, his disciples, he said, pray that you will not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. What did he pray? Well, the Bible says in verse uh, 42, Jesus prayed, Father, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. See the protest? Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. In other uh, Gospels, it says that for three hours he prayed. Three hours he prayed the same prayer. And the prayer was, Father, if there's any other way than this. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And verse 44 says that he was in such agony that he prayed even more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Let me submit to you this morning that in his deity he wanted nothing more than to go to the cross. There was nothing more that Jesus wanted in his deity than to go to the cross, than to become the substitute to man, uh, for man, oh, to go to the cross. Oh, there was no greater desire than to fulfill his assignment uh, and uh, no greater desire in his deity than, than to accomplish the will of the Father and to do what the Father sent him uh, to do in his, in his deity. He wanted nothing more than the cross. But let me submit to you that in his humanity, in his humanity, he wanted nothing Nothing more than not to go to the cross. Jesus put up such an emotional protest that the Bible said that his sweat turned into blood. Crying out, other writers say, for three solid hours, O Father, if there be any other way than this. Father, can somebody else come? Can you do something else? Can you accept some lesser sacrifice? Father, if if there's any other way, any other possibility, let this cup pass. Oh, friend, if you're struggling today with the will of God, If you are struggling today with doing what the Lord has laid upon your heart or even what He has revealed to you in His Word, don't beat yourself up too much for it this morning because, friend, even Jesus struggled in His humanity about fulfilling His Father's will. I want us to look back at our text, verse 4. I replied. Who replied? 
Who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus. He said, I replied. I replied what? I replied, but my work seems so useless. Wow. Wow. My work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Take note of two things here this morning. First of all, I want us to take notice of the perception. Take note of the perception. And what was the perception? Uh, Oh, here is the perception of the Lord. My work seems so useless. Jesus. My work seems so useless. I speak, but who is really listening? I teach, but the people ignore my teaching. I solve their problems, but they create new problems as fast as I take care of the old ones. Have you ever felt like this before? Ever felt this way before? What's the use anyway? Oh, it's three steps forward and two steps back. Oh, what's the use anyway? The harder I work, the worse things get. Just when I get one problem solved, three new ones appear. What's the use? I work myself to death only to be criticized and taken for granted. People tell me they love me and yet they walk away. Ever felt the protest Jesus was feeling? Ever had the perception that Jesus seems to be having? Ever said, what's the use? What's the use? My work seems so useless. My work seems so useless. Oh, oh, I teach kids in Royal Rangers, or I teach kids in Impact Girls or in Youth, but it doesn't do any good. The girls get pregnant anyway. The boys run wild anyway. What's the use? I reach out to people. I help people. I do for people. But they always turn on me or begin to take me and my good deeds for granted. What's the use? What's the use? Oh, I work my ministry hard or I coast in my ministry and it doesn't seem to make any difference. Ever had this perception? Jesus did. Not only do I want you to notice the perception, but I also want you to notice the pity. Verse 4, I have spent my strength for nothing. Sounds a little pitiful, doesn't it? Come on. Sounds a little pitiful. I've spent my strength for nothing. In his humanity, Jesus seems to be having a little pity party. Have you ever had one? All the work I do and where does it get me? All the money I give and what do I get for it? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. 
Perhaps you're here this morning and you have really been struggling recently. Oh, your emotions have been all over the map. Unanswered questions scream at you every single day. You are weary and worn and you are wavering in your faith. Oh, I know it's hard to comprehend. I know it's hard to think this way this morning. I know nobody else preaches this this morning. But the fact remains that even Jesus in his humanity struggled with his emotions. Hebrews 4 and 15, our high priest can sympathize with our feelings because he was in all points tempted just like we are, yet he never sinned. Oh, hear me clearly this morning. I certainly do not believe that Jesus ever sinned. I don't believe Jesus ever came close to sinning, but I do believe that he struggled with some of the very same struggles that we struggle with. And because that Jesus struggled with some of the same things we struggle with, because of this, he understands our struggles. He refuses to chastise us for our struggles. And instead, he chooses to help us overcome our struggles. Well, let's look at the last thing in this passage. The seventh thing I find in this little four verse passage, and that is the patience. Oh, notice what this prophet says in the last part of verse 4. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. Do you see the patience here? Let me suggest patience in perception. Patience in perception. I leave it all in the Lord's hand. He had already told us what his perception was. My perception is it's all useless. It doesn't seem like I'm doing any good. And yet I choose to have patience in my perception. I choose to leave it all in the hand of the Lord. Let me encourage you this morning. God is at work. God is at work this morning. Even if you cannot seem to see or hear or feel any results. Oh, God said that His Word would not return unto Him void. But God said it would accomplish what He sent it to accomplish. The hard part of that is we don't know what God's trying to do. He might be trying to change a situation or just prove to you that a, a situation is unchangeable. But He still remains true. That's, that's the hard part is, you know, we've got our preconceived ideas what, what His Word is supposed to accomplish. And, and our perception and, and God's uh, way of doing things don't always, you know, line up. Listen, God is at work. You may not be able to see Him. You may not be able to hear Him. You may not be able to feel any results. But God said that He is at work. Romans 8 and 28 says that God causes all things to work together for good. It didn't say God causes everything. It says God causes everything that does happen. He causes all things to work together for good. Not for everybody, but for those that love God. And those that are the called according unto His purpose. Not all things are good, but all things work together for good. Not all things don't work together for good for everybody, but all things work together for good to those that love God and and to those that are called according unto His purpose. It's not your purpose. It's not my purpose. It's not my plan. It's not your plan. It's His purpose. 
And God may not fulfill my purpose and my plan, but he always will fulfill his purpose and his plan. And his purpose and his plan is always right. So we have a choice this morning. Oh, we can get stuck in the struggle. Oh, we can allow the struggles to strangle the very life out of us. Or, or we can have patience in our perception. We can patiently leave everything in the hands of the Lord. Not only do we need patience in perception, we also need patience to persevere. Last of verse 4, I will trust God. For my reward. I don't have my reward. I can't see my reward. There's not any shine in my reward. And yet I will have patience to persevere. I will keep on keeping on. I will trust God for my reward. Let me encourage you today. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we're going to reap if we do not lose heart. I mean, understand that Paul would not tell us not to grow weary in doing good if it were not possible and even probable that we could and would grow weary in doing good. Friend, if Jesus grew weary in doing good, Who do we think we are? That we're not going to struggle. And that we're not going to grow weary while doing good. Paul says, our reward is coming, he said. Oh, don't grow weary. Oh, in doing good. Oh, in due season. In due season at the appointed time, at the proper time, in God's timing. We are going to reap, he said. But there is a stipulation, he said. If we faint not, if we don't lose heart, if we don't give up. And Jesus said in Revelation 22 and 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming. And he said, I'm coming. And my reward, he said, is with me. He said, it is to give to everyone. And it's going to be according to his word. According to Isaiah 49, Jesus put up a protest. Oh, oh, but not for long, not for long. His protest was conquered by his patience. He was patient in his perception. Oh, I'm going to leave it all in the Lord's hand. I don't understand it all. I don't even agree with all of it. Oh, I can't comprehend it all. Oh, I'm getting weary through this. But oh, oh, I'm going to be patient in my perception. I'm just simply going to leave it in the hand of the Lord. And his patience caused him to persevere, to keep on keeping on. We can get the musicians and singers back in place, please. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 12 says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. There you have it this morning. Jesus in Isaiah 49. You see a protesting Jesus. A protesting Jesus. But you also see a patient Jesus. And you see a powerful Jesus. Father, I thank you for this word today. Father, I believe with all of my heart this is, this is your word for today. This is your word today.